This morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 136. But before we jump in, I just want to play a quick game. And I want you guys, I'm going to say a phrase, or I'm going to say something, and I want you to say out loud what naturally you think follows. I don't really want you to think about it, so I'll give you an easy one. Apple a day. God is good. All the time. This is for Levi. Luke. I am your father. There we go. Yeah, he was upset I didn't give any Star Wars clues this morning. And for those of you who belong to this super uh, niche group, Boomer. Oh, I mean, yeah, you get it. Even if you don't like it, you know what happens next. These are all examples of cultural liturgies. You don't really think about it. You don't know the moment you learned an apple a day keeps the doctor away. You don't know. But somewhere just in the world and in the rhythms of your life, that got put into your brain, down in your brainstem to where you don't think of it. I have not seen Star Wars. And yet I know, Luke, I am your father. I know I just upset a lot of people. I'm good with that. I, you don't have to see it to know that, Luke, I am your father, right? It's become something bigger than the movie. The other day, Robin and I, we, we, Robin now lives with Alex and I, it's super fun, and when we were moving her out of her apartment, the last things that we grabbed were her electronics, and we found this old Nintendo 64, like old Nintendo 64, like 1992 Nintendo 64, and she had Mario Party 2, and so we got that game. I have not played that game in 20 years. And it is in the muscle memory in that game. The graphics are garbage, but I feel like I'm back being 16 years old drinking Surge Soda at 10 p.m. And I remember the game. Like it's deeply embedded in my brainstem and my hands and brain are somehow still connected. I mean, I haven't won yet, but they are still connected. Uh, Robin's a little faster than I am, but all of this is, is evidence of what we learn about how God wires us. God wires us for liturgy, for ritual, for rhythms. And if we do the right rhythms and rituals, things stick to us more than Boomer Sooner, more than Nintendo 64. Like if we understand that we are creatures of rhythm and ritual, then when we engage in the right ones, certain truths can really stick to us. I mean like down in the brainstem, stick to us. And so this psalm that we're looking at is a perfect example of ritual at its best can look like in the Psalter, in the prayer book of the people. Psalm 136 is a psalm of praise or a psalm of thanksgiving. And when Martin started this series, he talks about different hand postures. This one would just be hands up in praise, thanking God, praising God, who God is. And what's really beautiful about this psalm is most scholars believe it was an antiphonal psalm. And in other words, a leader starts it and then the gathered people respond. Then the leader says another line, and the gathered people respond. And so by the end, you're going back and forth, but the people respond always with the same line, his love endures forever. And so think about how beautiful that is, that you would stand in the gathered body, and the leader starts to say something about God, and then everybody collectively responds with, his love endures forever. So that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to be the leader And I'm going to say the first line, and each time you guys are going to respond with, his love endures forever. And we're going to read Psalm 136 together. Are we good over there? Oh, we're good. Brooks is with him. We're good. You guys ready? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. 
to him who alone does great wonders, who by his understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, and the moon and the stars to govern the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as an inheritance. An inheritance to his servant Israel. He remembered us in our low estate. And freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Let's pray. God, your love does, in fact, endure forever. And thank you for the reminder that you've wired us for rhythms and rituals to connect to you. Would you allow me, as we teach this psalm, to allow my words to be beautiful, true, and right, honoring of you. And would you allow it to nourish and encourage us today, Lord. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. So like I said, this is most likely this call and response. And so we're going to look at this Psalm 136 and, and what we are meant to take away from this psalm in addition to just moving back and forth. So for my note-taking ones, I want to give you just an outline of the whole psalm, and then we'll dive into what we can learn about God and praising God in this psalm. So verses 1 through 4, all of, all of the psalm is telling us why we should praise God, but verses 1 through 4 tell us because he's good and supreme. Verses 1 through 4, he's good and supreme. Verses 5 through 9, because God created the whole world. God created the whole world. Verses 10 through 15, because he was the God of the Exodus. He's the God of the Exodus. Verses 16 to 24, he's the God of the conquest and settling the land. 16 through 24, God of the conquest and settling the land. Verse 25, just one little verse, he's the God of the daily bread. And then verse 26 is our last praise. So what do we learn about praising God from our psalm? Well, I think it's obvious. What would y'all say is the main theme of this psalm? You only said it 26 times. What do you think is the main theme? Go ahead. Don't be shy. His love endures. Yes. All right. Good. Well done. Yeah, I think the big idea that hopefully you guys have picked up by now is the biggest reason that we praise God is because his love endures forever. This is the thing that the psalmist wants you to get stuck in your head and in your heart and in your brainstem. You will walk out of here today and you might not remember the first half of any verse but you will remember his love endures forever. That's what he's trying to get stuck in your head. And what's beautiful is it could have been any refrain. 
and still been true. His goodness endures forever. His strength endures forever. His holiness endures forever. Like you could pick a number of phrases about God and they would all be true. But it's the loyal love of God that is the preeminent thing for which we give thanks. That Hebrew word in uh, this passage here is the Hebrew word hesed or chesed, depending on if you took Hebrew and you want to get fancy with that little pronunciation. But for the rest of us, it's just hesed. And it's a difficult word to actually sum up. There are certain words in Greek and Hebrew, you get kind of a one-to-one translation. Their word and our word, they pretty much mean the same thing. But this word hesed is very difficult for us to summarize in one English word because it is full of meaning. It's why if you were to look up Psalm 136.1 and see how the translators translate it, you're going to get several different phrases. Like some people say, no, his mercy endures forever. Because part of hesed is that God's merciful. Some translate it, his loyal love endures forever because there's a loyalty, there's a sticking with you idea to hesed. Some say it's his steadfast love. It is a love that doesn't end. It goes on forever. And some say loving kindness because kindness is part of it. It's this really big pregnant with meaning word. So I grabbed the Theological Dictionary of the Old Testament just to see what they say about this word. And they say it has three really big components behind it. The word is active, it's social, and it's enduring. Active, social, and enduring. They continue, hesed is an active idea where the one who has hesed for the other preserves and promotes life and intervenes on someone's behalf when there is suffering or danger. It's an active love, this hesed, this love, it preserves and promotes life and it seeks to prevent suffering and it always does what is good and not evil. You cannot have hesed for someone and bring evil to them. You're always acting in good promotion of life for this person. So that's the active part. But the social part is they point out most often when we see hesed in the ancient context, it's used in family settings. It's a relational word by nature. And our word love in the English is just not designed that way. You all stand up on your wedding day and you say to the person that you are committing your entire life to, I love you. And guess what else you do? I love the Sooners and Tacos and Taylor Swift. Same word. Not Hesed. You don't Hesed Tacos and you don't Hesed Taylor Swift, no matter how much you think you know her. There's some of y'all I just called out. I won't look at them. I'm just kidding. No, hesed is relational word. It's why our word love, it, it, it does a lot of different things in the English, but not hesed. When it says that God has hesed for us, it means he thinks of us as his family. He thinks of us as being in relationship with him. It's active, it's social, and it's enduring. It, it's an ongoing type of relationship. And they say it's the kind of love that sticks to you and sticks with you. It's not fleeting. That's why they often translate it loyal love. How many of y'all have heard hesed is a loyal love? The kind of love that says, I'm with you through it all. This idea of God's love for us is active on our behalf, trying to bring good for us. He sees us as his family and it sticks to us. It attaches to us. So it's no wonder when Paul, who is a brilliant Hebrew scholar, has to define love in the Greek, he cannot just do a one-to-one ratio. He can't just pull hesed forward and go, oh yeah, it's agape. Because agape doesn't even mean everything that hesed means. So instead he takes four verses and this is how he tries to define hesed. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud. 
It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is how God feels towards us. He wants to protect us. He wants to bring hope to us. He wants us to understand that he wants no bad things for us. He keeps no record of our wrongs in light of Christ. The first reason that we praise God, if I could sum up Hesed, is we praise him because God fiercely, loyally attaches himself to us and he wants good for us and he has great patience toward us and he shows us kindness and mercy and he does this forever for no other reason but because we are his children. You guys say his love endures forever, but what Hesed is saying, no, 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 no fiercely loyal, attaching love that brings good to us, is patient toward us, shows us kindness and mercy, and does this forever because we're his children. I'd say that's a pretty good reason to praise God. And not only do we praise God for that, God wants us to know this way down in our brain stems. Like think about the impact a psalm like this could have on you and your family if for the next 30 days, every day, you and your family read this psalm together. One person says the line, everyone responds, your love endures forever. Just think of the impact that would have as you just get this down in your brainstem. It might mean that when you have a moment and you think to yourself, I've disappointed God. God is fed up with me. God is far from me. God doesn't love me the way he loves others. Hopefully, because it's now in a rhythm so deep in you that somewhere deep inside you, what bubbles up to yourself is no, 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 God's not disappointing me. Hesed means he's patient with me. Like God's not far from me. No, Hesed means he sticks to me. Like what, God doesn't love me. No, 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 I'm in his family because of Hesed. It means he's loyal to me. This is what the psalmist is trying to drive home for the entire gathered people of God. We praise God because first and foremost, God loves us profoundly, actively, socially, and enduringly all the time. The second reason we praise God, according to the psalm, is because God is both good and supreme. So the first reason is because God's love endures, but the second one is because God is good and supreme. And we need both. Noticing that in verses two through four, it sings all of God's supremeness. He's God of gods, Lord of lords. He alone does wonders. And that's an amazing idea, except if he's not also good, it would be truly frightening. If God were only power but not good, that would be truly terrifying. Hitler used to call God almost exclusively the Almighty. He used to invoke religious language to to create the Holocaust. And he almost exclusively talked about God the Almighty. He had an obsession with God's power and clearly disregarded God's mercy and kindness, his love, his, his ability to say that all people are made in his image. And so Hitler shows us what power without goodness looks like. It's, it's tyranny. Power without goodness is tyranny. But also, goodness without power in your God is despairing. Because it means God's in the same boat with you. So you're facing one of life's big storms and you look over at God and you go, I know you're good and I know you're loving, but we're about to take another wave. And he's like, yeah, we're gonna ride this out together. That is despairing. But because our God is both almighty 
and good, we can praise him. It means that we trust that when we pray to him, whatever the response is to us will be the most good. He can do no other. And it means that when we pray to him, we trust that whatever thing we're facing, God is more powerful than that. We get to praise God because God is both good and powerful. So we come to him and we avail ourselves to him in our prayer life because we know that he will respond in a way that promotes hesed in our lives, goodness in our lives, and God is more powerful than whatever enemy we might be facing. That is certainly a reason to praise. We praise God because his loving kindness endures. We praise him because he's both good and supreme. And we also praise him because of his past faithfulness to us. This psalmist, he picks up on the big stuff from Israel's history, not the small obscure things, but he's saying, hey, remember creation. Remember the exodus when we march out of Egypt. Remember the conquest when some scrappy Israelites settled the land and were given this massive inheritance. That's the God that we're praising, the God that did all those things. And so one, it prevents you, if you're Israel, from thinking to yourself, well, we just outfoxed Egypt. Ha ha, no, no. Or it prevents you from thinking, we were just better fighters than the Canaanites. I mean, never mind that we'd been enslaved for hundreds of years and we had to wander the wilderness and were malnourished and there weren't protein shakes, but we were better fighters than the settled Canaanites. No, 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 no. You can go back and read the book of Joshua. You weren't better fighters. God just intervened. And so this psalm places the victory and credit squarely where it belongs, with God and God alone. You cannot be puffed up when you remember it's God who did these things. And if you're a cynic, you might be going, okay, so this is just God's highlight reel. He's Uncle Rico. Back in the day, I could throw the football over the mountain. Are y'all too young for Uncle Rico? Okay. I don't even like that movie, but man, it's funny. You're like, oh yeah, no, God used to do those things, but I'm stuck now. Like he did at one time create, he did at one time rescue, he did at one time give us land, but not anymore if you were a cynic. But that's actually not why the psalmist invites us to remember. It's not just so we can have nostalgia, like some weird Nintendo 64 thing of whatever happened back in the day. We remember so that we can hope for tomorrow. Backwards in the Bible always pushes us forward. That's the point of looking back. It's the point of the Ebenezers. It's the point of remember the Exodus. Is it because it pushes us forward to trust in a future continued day of faithfulness. One commentator says, As the singers of Psalm 136 enunciated the words of the psalm, they brought the past powerfully into the present. God who created is creating. God who delivered is delivering. God who sustained is sustaining. In other words, we rehearse this psalm because we're not just like, yeah, that's really cool what God could do and what he did do. We rehearse the psalm to remind us the same God who created is the same God who's creating now. The same God who delivered is the same God who's delivering now, and the same God who sustained us then is sustaining us now. So let me ask you, I just want you to take a minute and think to yourself, what is God creating in you right now? What new life is God birthing in your life or in your family's life right now? His love endures forever. How is God delivering you and others in your life right now? His love endures forever. And how is God sustaining you today for what you need today? His love endures forever. 
rhythms and rituals. What if your family, the people you live with, your roommates, you guys spent some time articulating the ways God has been faithful to you in the past. And you write them down. And every time you then recite them out loud. He came through when we needed to make ends meet and his love endures forever. He opened a womb that had been closed. His love endures forever. He saved that person I've been praying for for so long. His love endures forever. What if you begin to recite that as a family? I bet if you recounted your past family faithfulness, it would grow your boldness to ask for what you need today. I'd be willing to bet big money on that. Take me up on it. I'd love to take your money from you. Past faithfulness, the reason we recite what God has done is because God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If he's the God that created then, he can create a new thing in your life today. If he's delivered before, he can deliver you now. If he's sustained before, he can sustain now. I wonder what our lives would look like if we had rhythms and rituals to remind us of all that God has done for us. God continues to be praised in this psalm. The last thing we're gonna talk about is that this psalm teaches us about giving thanks is not only is God in the big stuff, creation, exodus, conquest, but God is also invested in the small stuff. That's the other thing this psalm teaches us. Y'all, the Bible, it literally at times cracks me up. Like there'll be moments where I'm just reading through the story and then all of a sudden some story pops up and I'm like, what? Like Elijah runs from his enemies and then like ravens feed him food for an extended period of time. I'm like, that is so weird. Like, Rob and I talk about this all the time. People are like, you don't really believe that Jesus, you know, like, or you don't really believe that Jonah was swallowed by a well. Or you don't really believe that the raven went. And I'm like, well, I believe a dead man came back to life. So a bird feeding a prophet is not that hard for me to, like, imagine. But you'll be reading along, and all of a sudden, these young men will taunt a prophet, calling him baldy, and then bears just maul him. Like, this is like, they just maul the children. That's in the Bible. It's, it's in there. Go read it. So sometimes I'm just reading along in the Bible and I'm just like, what? And I had one of those moments as I was reading through Psalm 136 because it starts with God is supreme. He's God of God, Lord of Lords. He alone can do wonders. And it's like creation, exodus. And he's like, here's your land. And then he's like, oh, and hey, he feeds every creature. And I'm like, that does not feel on scale with the rest of what we've just been talking about. God breathes and there's a universe and yet he feeds every creature. But I think that's exactly why the psalmist puts this in there. Lindbergh, one of the commentators on the psalm, he says, Psalm 136 puts the gift of daily food on the same plane as the great acts of creation, exodus, and conquest. And why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't the psalmist do that? Because that's what hesed also does. That's what God's love also does. Like I want you to think about someone who really loves you well. Someone who has really loved you well in your life. Someone who has provided for you, protected you, cared for you. Would they not give you their kidney? Of course they would. But most of the loyal love you experience from them is like a warm meal and a hug and a head rub. That's most of the time how you feel loved by that person. And so if God was always grandiose, like that would be amazing, cool. But isn't it better that he's not only grandiose, but he also is near to us in his loving kindness? I want you to imagine you come to God in one of life's moments that's a brokenhearted moment, but it's not one of those moments where time is a stamp. 
You know what I mean? Like there are moments in life where you go, there was a before and there was an after when that event happened. I'm not talking about the soul-crushing moments. I'm talking about the moments where you're just brokenhearted. You didn't get the promotion. Your crush asked someone else out. Robin has won seven straight times in Mario Party. Like the things in life that you're just like, I'm just, I'm bummed about it. I'm not, I'm, y'all, I'm kidding. I'm not actually trying to put that on the same level, but... But think about those small things in life that feel big to you in the moment, but you know in the grand scheme of things, they're not huge. And I want you to imagine you come to God with your broken heart, and God's like, best I can do is create another star or throw the mountain into the ocean. Which one do you want? Like you'd be like, well, that's, that's not, okay, sure, name a star after me. But how much more beautiful that when you come to God, it says he provides your daily bread. He draws close to the brokenhearted. That we have a God that when he was on earth, he wept with us. That he understands us. That he draws near to us. That despite how weird that story is, that Elijah's fed by that bird, that's actually a really beautiful picture of God's loyal love to Elijah. Right? There's There's a real beauty in God caring not just about the big things, but the small things. And so the psalmist is telling us, listen, don't just ask God to move mountains. You can also ask him for the things that you need today, for sleep, for your kids to have a good time at that birthday party where they don't know as many kids for a raise at work, for the things in life that you are stressed about, but you know they're not huge, but they they are things that you desire. That is the loyal love of God that invites us into that too. Not just for creation, but also for your daily bread. His hesed, his love is big, but it is also near and it is tender. So what's our big so what? I obviously want you to know above all else that God loves you. I, I could sit up here every Sunday and preach the same message. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Like it's why we start St. Jude the same way every Sunday. If nobody's told you that they love you, we do. But far infinitely more important, God loves you. I think it'll be said of me when I finally am done preaching, I only ever preached one sermon. And that's that God is love. And I would do anything to convince y'all of this. But if you only hear it for an hour on Sunday it's not going to sink in your bones. Like I know if, it's the, if this is the only time that you hear that God loves you, by midweek, it will be screeched out by the world because the world is not screaming at you that there's an infinitely good and loving God who draws near to you. No, no. At best, the world is distracting us. At worst, it's screaming at us that we are so unworthy of that love. So our so what is this, is that God gave us psalms like this to remind us that we are humans of rhythms and habits and liturgies because we need help driving some truths deep into our bones. We need help getting truths sometimes to just stick to our bodies. So my so what is simply this, God loves you. I know you know that. What rhythm do you need So that the knowledge of this love is so much more than an intellectual thought, but instead is the posture at which you take on every day. What rhythm is that? If you're not sure, maybe start by reading Psalm 136 every day. But my great hope for the people of St. Jude and for myself and for my babies and for everybody that I have the privilege of getting to love in this life is that if you know nothing else, 
It's that you know deep in your bones that you are loved by God. Because people who believe that are the kinds of people that change the world for the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love. And it is at times almost too good to be true, it feels. And yet, your word, your son, your spirit, this world you created, your people continue to testify about that loyal love. But man, oh man, do we live in a broken world. And it is hard to remember. So would you bring us reminders? Would you give us rhythms? Would you give us people? Would you give us habits? Would you give us opportunities? Would you give us activities? Would you give whatever we need so that we will be sustained by and baptized in your love? Help us to believe it a little bit more every day, God. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And God's people said,